Welcome to St. Louis on the Air. I'm Sarah Fenske. Four years ago, two St. Louis moms founded a small group to tackle a big problem. Adelaide Lancaster and Laura Horowitz wanted We Stories to help foster conversations about racism and race with white families and children. They found a big, receptive audience. Hundreds of families joined We Stories cohorts across the city, and now the group is going national. This June, for the first time, We Stories began hosting a national cohort. Another begins next month, and We Stories is already seeing reservations fill up for a third. And here to discuss the group's growth from St. Louis to beyond is Rayma Anazan Wu. She is We Stories program manager. Rayma, welcome to the show. Uh, thanks so much, Sarah. It's great to be here. So what led We Stories to expand its focus beyond St. Louis? So it has always been something that we have um, talked about as an organization. We, Many of our families in St. Louis have families outside who have heard about We Stories and are always asking us, when is We Stories coming to a city near me? And so just because we've been a small nonprofit and, you know, been so overwhelmed and grateful for all of the families in our St. Louis um, community who have spread the word about us so, so far, but just wanting to make sure that we're able to maintain and support the families that we have in the past and, you know, the families that might join in the future. It's always just been a tension that we've held as an organization of we would love to come to a city near you, but also we want to make sure that we're doing it in a way that we can scaffold and support both the community that we have in St. Louis and then whatever community that we built afar. So at the beginning of this year, um, in February, we decided, all right, let's go ahead and try a remote cohort. Mm -hmm. And it happened like so serendipitously with the pandemic hitting because everybody just kind of was like, oh, well, this is what we want now. And we had already had like the beginning plans that were like rapidly accelerated when it was like, oh, this is just going to be the mode of instruction, period. Um, so been in the works a while, but just beautiful timing all around. Yeah, it feels like everybody getting used to doing everything on Zoom or through that kind of connection probably eased your way a little bit. Were you torn between trying to choose a group where everybody was in the same city um, versus branching out to people from different cities all in that same group? Um, So within the, we call it our national cohort, we do try to make people who are in like the same geographic area known to each other. So we have a clustering of families in Minnesota, for example, or some on the East Coast. And so we try to facilitate introductions between those kind of um, those families. But also it's just been so striking to us in the past cohort, of the almost 12 weeks now of just seeing as much as all of the different contexts that our families are raising their kids in. There are so many similarities that come up when you're trying to have conversations about race with kids and just finding a lot of, oh, wow, that feels so similar to me here in St. Louis and to people in Washington, D.C., like having the same conversations across lots of different issues. um, The applicability of it has been really just, I mean, one of those things that you think about, but 
seeing it actually play out has been incredible. So it sounds like you're actually seeing more similarities um, from people all over the country than differences um, by region or by city. Definitely. So this national program, this is called the Family Learning Program. I understand it's 12 weeks. You started in June, so it's underway now. Um, what is the goal to accomplish within that time frame? So the goal is really just to get families comfortable with the discomfort of having explicit conversations about race. Uh, white people, and I mean, really to an extent, all of us were socialized to not have conversations about race, especially explicit ones, because it's taboo when research really bears out that the opposite explicit conversations will reduce racial bias, especially in kids. Hmm. And so we are, that is our goal where we tell our families, you're building a habit here because anti-racism work is a lifelong journey. And it's not just, oh, I've read one book and I'm done, but it's okay. What is the practice? What kind of questions can I be asking in any situation that I'm walking into or my kids are walking into? And so that's really the goal of the 12 weeks to get families to start or strengthen their practice, having conversations about race as a family and then, you know, expanded to whatever networks they're in. So walk me through that. How does that go over that 12 week period? Uh, Where do you start and, and where do you end up leading these people? Sure. So the first month, we've got a three month curriculum and there's far too much information for a three month period. Just because that's, I mean, the history of race in our country and the fact that race is so dynamic and operates differently within different racial groups, mm-hmm. it's a lot. And like the habit building is so important because even though we can present all the information, there's no way that families who are also living in a pandemic and also having to parent can metabolize all of that. So we really, we encourage families to do like one highlighted module within the whole work and then come back to it again. So month one is all about noticing. Hmm. And what do you notice about the the environment that you're living in that you're maybe going to school in? It's going to look a little bit different now. Um, (laughs) But who is present? Who is missing in those environments? Even if it's something as simple as your neighborhoods or where you go to shop, like what does that look like? And how could it look differently for the kids in, or how does it look differently for the characters in the children's books that you're reading? Hmm. And so that's month one, just noticing, getting comfortable, naming difference because colorblindness is, you know, what a lot of us have been socialized with. It's not like we are all the same, so we don't need to name the differences of skin color, but that's really, um, again, not having explicit conversations. And so if there uh, are differences, we want people to be comfortable talking about them and saying, oh, this is what color my skin is. What is the color of the character of this book? Hmm. And so then month two and month three, they're more take a specific part of this really, you know, long winding avenues of what does the history of my neighborhood look like? Or what is the history of what's the family history tell me about what role my family has played in America? Or um, let's learn some history about civil rights movements and just asking questions that go along with picture books that go with some of those categories. So we had the 4th of July over this cohort, which is always time that we ask, uh, what is 
can you hold multiple truths of America? Because we all, an American ideal is just that America is this great country, but it is also built on stolen land. And so holding those two tensions, how do you do it? And how can you tell a fuller picture of what America looks like? Hmm. Um, so that's just the starting place because there's so much history, but really we want to kind of model for parents. Here's a place that you can start and you will always have access to come back to learning about the other ones that you didn't do in this 12 week period. And you'll also probably learn more about the ones that you did do in this 12 week period, because I'm always learning new things about race. And that's just kind of how it goes. So speaking of that follow through, you talked about noticing and then you have like sort of a specific part that people are tackling. Is there then a call to action or with that age group? Is it more just a a state of learning? So that is actually um, something that we are working on building out right now, because for so long, um, we've had the family learning program as our core program of, okay, this is just to get you started on the learning. And that um, over time, our alumni families, that's what we call people who've gone through the program, they have kind of made their own paths into advocacy Mm -hmm. of We've had people run for school boards. We've had people canvas for different elections, do different anti-racism work within their own schools or school districts. And so the path afterward has always been pretty murky. And right now we are building out an advocacy building project of what does advocacy look like? Um, It sounds even to me who I've got some familiarity with it. It sounds really big and scary, Mm -hmm. but naming, like writing a letter to your representative, that's advocacy or more specific. Like we have um, lots of people who've done work in their schools and creating a more explicit pathway for people who are interested in that Mm -hmm. is a focus of what we have been doing this summer, what we will continue to do for the next year of just where do we go? afterwards. So helping people understand there are small steps you can take. You don't have to jump in with both feet. You can you can do your part. Absolutely. And that action begets action. So like when you do the small steps, it you feel more ready to do like another small step. And then you look back and you're like, whoa, I've come really far away from just those first couple of small steps. Hmm. So we mentioned that this was targeted at families and, and targeted at families with young children. Um, what age are you um, are you most seeking for this? So research tells us um, that bias is cemented by around age seven. So our target age group is zero to eight, hmm. um, just because we are rooted in children's books and we want you to read them together as a family. And a lot of those habits exist within our families already with kids in that age range. But we do get families who have kids like 14, like 11 to 14 is not uncommon because the older books that we do offer, like they are dense. And Mm -hmm. there is something to learn here because, you know, even though zero to seven is the, the intervention age, like there are lots of lessons to learn beyond that. So I'm thinking about that targeted age there, that zero to eight. I I feel like my five-year-old does great if she's in a room with her teacher and with other kids. She's really focused on what's going on. But when I try to get her to pay attention to something going on the computer screen, man, her attention span just isn't what it needs to be. She's just kind of all over the place. Has that presented challenges with kids that age as you're trying to do this national cohort? That is – so the challenge of, like, I – like I care deeply about this and I want my child to also that 
presents itself. The way that our curriculum uh, is rolled out is that it's mostly, it's not done on screen time. So mm -hmm. it's mostly parents who are metabolizing the information that is presented on a screen, but then taking it back to their kiddos and saying, okay, well, we're gonna read a book now. And we liken it to manners. There's a researcher, Ali Michael, who did this great metaphor for us. Of, I mean, you would practice, you'd say please and thank you with, the, with your children, even though you you know don't always hear please and thank you. And even though it's not the thing that they want to hear from you, but just making, like we help our kiddos build habits that we want them to then perpetuate beyond us. Mm -hmm. And so having that structured family time of, okay, well, we read books and we have discussions about current events or things that are tied to the calendar because they will always pop up. That makes sense. Yeah. So the adults are doing their part on Zoom and then um, they're dealing with the kids in one-on-one. In -on -one. They are their own pod, basically, as they're doing yes, that. Absolutely. We're talking to Rayma Anazan Wu. She's the program manager for We Stories, which has recently gone national. The first national cohort is underway right now. I understand you're going to be launching a, a second one in September. Is there anything you've learned from this first time around where, yeah, you might just do this differently now that you've tried this once? We've learned that it's pretty, the Zoom format has been wildly successful. <laughs> um, just in that over 12 weeks, we do see parents who get, you know, get, you know, distracted by the rest of the world and parenting and all of their responsibilities as it goes. Um, but we have, since we're not able to do anything in person, and we never were going to be able to with this group, anyhow, mm -hmm. uh, we have done biweekly zooms where we just check in and talk to people. And we have heard in the past that having small group conversations is some of our participants favorite parts. And so we've upped that by six folds. Um, we've and creating six more opportunities to have a small group conversation. We didn't know it was going to work. Um, and so that is one thing that we'll definitely be keeping. So people um, are really into that. They want to have those conversations. Which has been surprising just because, you know, Zoom fatigue. And so um, I wasn't expecting for it to work out as well as it has, hmm. which is kind of like the opposite of your question. But that's the first thing that jumped out to me. But that's great. I mean, it, man, if things if you're learning like, hey, this is working, that's also something to learn. So as you're looking ahead to this next cohort, what kind of demand are you seeing for it? Basically a, a similar one. So this cohort, a similar one um, as our summer cohort. So our summer cohort launched just right in that protest moment around George Floyd's murder. Mm -hmm. And our fall cohort, we have a St. Louis and national one. Both of them filled up with 100 families each by the end of June. And so like, there's still a lot of energy. People were still being catalyzed. And so people are still wanting to learn how to talk to their kids about anti-racism and just make it a family practice. Um, so, yeah. So that's great. So to, to do that national one and to also have a St. Louis one running at the same time, um, has that required you to scale up or, or are you just trying to just do more uh, with the same amount of people? It is basically the same 
scale that or like this it's the same scale heft that was required to do the national cohort if that makes sense mm-hmm. so our st louis community we were at about a thousand families already and so with the national just adding the national component the first time around adding 100 families and a lot of our work is really St. Louis contextualized. Mm-hmm. And so making a shift to be like, all right, here are pathways to get involved afterwards. And also here are ways that you can get involved in work that's happening in St. Louis, but applicable to you nationwide has been a lot of the the heft and change of thinking that we had to do for the first cohort. Mm-hmm. But since that's mostly been done it's adding to uh already like that ground of thinking already that's great so you're all set to go um and and man what a lot of growth this program is seeing where do you see we stories five years from now do you think you'll be able to run um even more of these programs oh my goodness we stories five years from now i would love to imagine um the family learning program as being a way for families to still come in and learn what suits their family best in terms of creating that habit. But I would also, I'm so wildly curious to see what this second pathway that we're building with the advocacy building project, uh, what that turns into, especially with a national lens, um, because there's so many great organizations in St. Louis who are doing anti-racism work and who contribute to the field here and I, I just wonder how much, like, I think that's the big opportunity and like the land of dreaming, what comes next for the like advocacy and action part. Hmm. Well, it's going to be so exciting to see and we wish you the best as you continue this, this big expansion. Thank you so much. And we were speaking there to Rayma Anazan Wu. She is the We Stories program manager, and We Stories has recently expanded from St. Louis to beyond. So thank you so much, Rayma. Thanks, Sarah. This is St. Louis on the Air on St. Louis Public Radio. That's 90.7 KWNU. Support comes from the Missouri Forest Products Association, providing more than 41,000 jobs in the production of wood pallets, railroad ties, white oak barrels, hardwood floors, and more. Details at ChooseWood.com.